the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as uh, we head into the end of the week here this Friday, January 27th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. We have Bill, um, our chair, our chair, our lead, our top, our CEO producer, and uh, David Dahl, our associate producer in-house. Uh, we'll be talking with them a little bit later on a few fronts. Uh, we will um, be discussing a few other issues as well. It's Going into the weekend uh, with not such uh, not such great news, uh, the big story right now is that uh, four police officers have uh, been charged uh, with homicide in uh, Tennessee for killing a suspect they had uh, arrested. Um, but good for the police chief there and good for the victim's mother there. The police chief in Memphis, uh, an African-American woman, took note that uh, the four police officers who were charged and arrested themselves were all uh, of the same racial uh, minority as the um, as the victim um, or the arrestee who became a victim. So this was uh, this was, uh, to put it, I guess, crudely black on black every which way involving all five people, four police officers and uh, the deceased. Um, But uh, the city of Memphis is evidently teetering on the edge. So though the police chief, an African-American woman herself, called for calm and said this wasn't racial, the mother uh, of the deceased also pleaded for calm. uh, And let us hope, let us hope, the tinderbox that has been erected around uh, police violence in this country is uh, dry and easily lit a fire. Uh, who knows uh, what can uh, set set the uh, radicals to rampage and ravage their rampage through the st- streets and ravage their communities. We don't need it anymore. This isn't the 1960s, and it wasn't justified then. And this it wasn't justified in 2020, and we shouldn't and shan't have it again. Uh, awfully uh, sorry to have to report any of that uh, going into the weekend, but um, that is that is the news. On the political front, uh, as many of you may know, uh, there was a big uh, election for the chairmanship of the Republican National Committee, which was convening for that election in California. And it's the first time I can recall in a very long time. In fact, I don't actually remember such a uh, competition a public competition uh, for the chairmanship of the RNC. I just I just can't remember a public competition for it as there was this year. Uh, the three uh, leaders uh, were the incumbent Rona McDaniel's, the attorney Harmy Dillon, and of course Mike Lindell. Uh, Harmy Dillon won. Uh, excuse me. Harmy Dillon lost. Rona McDaniel won. Let me repeat that so there's no error here. Rona McDaniel won re-election today. Harmy Dillon lost. 
uh, and it wasn't really very close, something like 111 to 51. Um, we can talk about that, and I'm happy to take your calls on any of that. 602-508-0960 is the number, 602-5080-960 is the number. We'll be having our own election for the chairmanship of the state party here, the state GOP chairmanship, and we'll have uh, one of the candidates on at the bottom of this hour. Um, but one of the things I guess I wanted to say about the RNC and uh, the election there is it's interesting, you know, you kind of you kind of look for some profiles and courage at times like these. It's interesting that Rona McDaniel was put there originally by Donald Trump and Donald Trump did not endorse Harmeet Dillon or Rona McDaniel or Mike Lindell in this race. Um, his non-endorsement, though, I believe served as an endorsement. It's kind of the parallel to when you have someone in power and someone not in power and you say we're not going to meddle or we're not going to endorse. That's an endorsement. When you refrain from an endorsement with a competitor against a leader, especially a leader that you put there, that's an endorsement. But it would have been, I would say, a little more politically courageous for him to just come out and say it, that he was sticking by his pick, Rona McDaniel. I understand the angst over it. I understand how there could be angst over it. She was not popular with certain precincts of the base. And Donald Trump is trying to be popular with certain precincts of the base. And he didn't want to perhaps remind people that he was tied to Rona McDaniel in this sense. But he didn't endorse Harmeet Dillon. And that says something, too, doesn't it? He didn't do it. Um, that, that, that does speak some volumes. Uh, Harmeet Dillon did a, did, a, um, did a lot of noble work on behalf and has done a lot of noble work on behalf of the Republican Party in various states and at the federal or national level, I should say, as an attorney, as a committee woman. But uh, the argument was that you don't want to start from scratch at a time like this, I suppose. And I have to tell you, um, sometimes when a candidate you like loses – um, it's not about the quality of the candidate themselves. It's not about the merits of their thought or the content of their character. Sometimes it can be that you ran a bad campaign. And I think that that applies here, too, from certain things I have seen. Um, I want you to think about that as well when it comes to other candidacies where you thought people should have won both locally and nationally. Sometimes they just had bad campaign advice or bad campaign staffing. Sometimes the candidate was perfectly reasonable. Sometimes the candidate was very, very, very good. But, you know, I have said for years about the consultancy class here. It's one of the few things in America, probably anywhere, but certainly in America, that doesn't have accountability. They make gobs of money, gobs of money, and can lose and lose and lose 
and they will still get hired and they will still get con- uh, they will still get contracts with Fox News. They will still be, um, you know, interviewed and listened to. And you think, you know, what if they were a doctor or what if they were a lawyer? What if it was a doctor that lost and lost and lost and lost patients or a lawyer that lost and lost and lost cases? You wouldn't continue to hire them. You wouldn't continue to go to them. And I've always maintained, you know, political science um, is or should be as as important as medical science. Uh, One is about saving the body, but the other is about saving the body politic. And it seems to me in many respects, not as an individual matter, but as a collective matter, which can affect our individual and does affect our individual and family lives, familial lives, that the body politics should be taken just as seriously. But somehow we have blinkered um, the population or at least the candidates um, and the uh, people who uh, think that just because they're on TV, they're important or smarter or knowledgeable – we have um, blinkered them all into thinking that just because you make gobs of money and keep getting hired, even though your tote board may be full of L's instead of W's, that we're going to keep going to you. And I think we should have a massive rethinking about that, at least if there are any candidates or would-be candidates in earshot. I hope you have a massive rethinking about that. It has become quite the quite the cottage industry, um, and sometimes it's the candidate's fault, but Sometimes it's the people around the candidates' fault. Bad advice, um, bad thinking, bad staffing. Um, I will tell you, I think Harmeet Dillon is a very articulate, gifted, and smart person, and I hope she has and plays a big role in not only our movement but our party. But um, from things I saw, the the campaign for this job was not run very well. And you can think about perhaps some other campaigns or candidates you liked and uh, – Maybe sometimes don't always blame the voters or don't always blame the people who had the election responsibility that of voting if it's, you know, something like a, a closed vote as it would be at an RNC. Maybe sometimes think about the candidacy. It's not always the candidate. Sometimes it's the candidacy. And in several races I have watched over the last several years, boy, I'll tell you. It wasn't always the candidate. It was the candidacy. All right. Just a few thoughts, but it is Open Lines Friday, um, 602-508-0960. Anything on your mind? Happy to talk to you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I, um, another Terrible news. Uh, Arab terrorists shot up a synagogue in Jerusalem today, killing seven Israelis. And uh, as uh, as on cue, uh, Palestinians are celebrating in the streets over this. Remember, I was just thinking, you know, today's uh, International Holocaust Memorial Day. David's dad is a pastor. And I think it was about a year ago he wrote me with a with a was it a sermon he was preaching on the topic that I uh, I read on air, I think, didn't I? I think I did, and uh, it was so good. I was on one of these trips uh, to Israel with uh, Prager and Gallagher a couple, a few years ago, and I remember on the tour, I look, I, I have mixed feelings, really. I really do. We can get into it if you want. I have mixed feelings about uh, 
Holocaust memorials. But I was on this tour in Israel, and one of the tour sites was you go to the Holocaust Memorial in Israel, which is unlike any other. It's called Yad Vashem. And uh, I remember coming out, it was, uh, I remember the day exactly, it was a little rainy, it was a little chilly and cold. And uh, a man about, I guess about my age, maybe a little older, said to his wife as we were walking out, after you walk through this, this, uh, the words don't describe it, but as we were walking out, this man said to his wife, now I know why Israel has nuclear weapons. And I was thinking of all of this as that news came today when um, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and someone many of you may know and many of you may know because he's a teacher in the community, but also because he's a regular host on weekends here, a man named Mayor Jolovitz. He's going to maybe join us a little bit later. He had an op-ed today on International Holocaust Memorial Day that I can't help but read. Both my father, this is mayor, both my father and my mother were European-born. Both survived the Holocaust. Each had their own harrowing story to tell, or I should say stories to tell. My mother lost all her relatives except for one older brother who had survived quite miraculously when he himself was sent to Siberia during the war years where he was tortured. My mother's story was itself quite miraculous, as were the stories of so many who had survived. Everyone had a story that seemed somewhat unique. My father's story of survival was even more unique than the others, the stuff that almost defied belief. My father, the only survivor of his family, survived, along with a couple cousins of a larger extended family. His story was different. My father, of blessed memory, survived 13 concentration camps. 13 unprecedented. And yet, as he later confessed, whether by accident or fate or circumstance or by the grace of God, he lived in order to bear testimony. It meant everything to me, Mayer writes. It shaped my very being. His misfortune, as was the case of my mother's, was in some peculiar, perverse way my good fortune, because I came to understand human nature and what it was capable of doing. While it seemed sometimes unimportant to a world that was quick to forget and then deny it, it meant everything to me. I learned about that damn human race. Yes, that damn human race. Others read about it through Viktor Frankl or even Mark Twain. I got it at home at an unusually early age. A victim of the brutal anti-Semitism of the Nazis, he, as did my mother, made his way to Israel, the land of Israel. They arrived in January 17, 1946, on a small ship, or more actual, accurately, a large boat, the Enzo Sereni. This was a 410-ton wooden vessel driven by a 300-horsepower uh, diesel engine that allowed it to make its way to the Jewish home at a speed of 7.5 knots. The vessel sailed on January 7, 1946, from a small fishing pier in Italy, carrying 908 Jewish refugees on board. It arrived 10 days later, illegally. Illegally. Because the gates of the land of Israel were closed, even to Jews who had survived the most murderous episode in man's history. The land of Israel. 
where both my parents were summarily arrested and imprisoned, incarcerated in northern Israel when it was still known as Mandatory Palestine under British rule. My mother was released after a couple of weeks, my father after two months. Finally, despite the fear of expulsion to Cyprus, they were allowed to stay and they were actually issued papers that made their presence in the land of Israel legal or more accurately, extra legal. They were issued passports. You'll find this really interesting. What did those passports say? The passport of Palestine. Mandatory Palestine. The designation on those passports stipulated Palestine. Yes, the Jews were Palestinians. The Arabs on the passports they carried had a different designation. Arab. You see, there were no Palestinian people then, as there was no sovereign nation of Palestine, never had been. If you spoke of Palestinians, you were speaking of Jews. Enough history for now except to add this. The Palestinians as we know them today were the Arabs of yesteryear who were rebranded and remanufactured as Palestinian Arabs in the 1960s. It was a cleverly devised political ploy to legitimize a fraudulent claim to the land that was equally fraudulent. It was the lie that the world lives today. I, Mayor writes, was born in Israel only a few years after my parents arrived. At a very early age, my parents taught me and my siblings about the world and that damn human race, about the Jew hatred they had faced and survived and the Jew hatred that we now all faced from a different form of Nazism, from a genocidal ideology known as Islamism. If you paid attention during Israel's short modern history, well, you understand are you getting the picture, or was it all in vain? Mayor concludes. Mayor Jolovitz, uh, thank you for submitting that. I think we'll talk to him. Hopefully we'll talk to him just a bit later. Many of you, as I say, know him. He is a uh, history teacher in town and an occasional guest on this show. It's interesting, that point about human nature. I've heard others say this to believers, whether their belief in, and their faith is in Judaism or Christianity, after seeing these tremendous tragedies, if that's the word for them, these tremendous confusions of right and wrong, these kinds of mass exterminations, whether here or other parts of the Middle East, other peoples have faced them too, how can you still believe in God? And I think what Mayer is driving at here is the answer, oh, I don't think that's the right question. The right question is, seeing all that stuff, how can you trust in man? I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Moving to a bit more of the temporal. As I mentioned, the state uh, chairmanship for the Republican Party is uh, up for debate and vote uh, this uh, weekend, I believe. And uh, Vera Gibran is uh, running for AZGOP chair. You can check her out further at her website, votevera.com, V-E-R-A, votevera.com. Vera, welcome back to the show. How are you? 
I am great, and I'm always, always delighted to be in your company, Seth. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Delighted to be in yours as well. For the audience that doesn't know you, uh, you know a lot of the world, and you know a lot of other countries and this country. Tell the audience just a little bit about your story, just a little bit. Thank you, Seth. Yes, so my name is Vera Gibran, and I am an immigrant from uh, Lebanon, Due to weak borders and an unlawful entry, when I was a little girl, a civil war broke out that lasted 20-plus uh, 20 years. And, of course, uh, sadly, I lost that home. And uh, because of what I've been seeing is happening here in the United States, I'm concerned that I'm going to lose this one, too. Wow. So as a young girl, I had the privilege, my family and I had the privilege and the opportunity to come to the United States, and we were uh, given the, the opportunity to realize the American dream and realize that we did. Thankfully, by the grace of God, we were able to do that, and we were able to have a safe and prosperous life. And uh, my family uh, established and grew the U.S. egg restaurants. We have six locations uh, throughout the valley. And over the years, we have employed thousands of people. And, um, you know, it's, it's wonderful because we've been able to give back to our community uh, in, you know, in gratitude for everything that it has afforded us. So we're one of the top 20 employers uh, in, in the state. But I actually went on, uh, Seth, to do my own projects, and I built companies internationally all over Asia, Africa, and the South Pacific. So in doing that, I participated in quite a bit of diplomacy work in order to be able to implement our U.S. model, including uh, changing the labor laws for women, both in Pakistan and in India. Um, I also... Uh, brokered deals uh, between Pakistan and India for the advantage of both of their economies, etc. So I, I left uh, those companies behind to start my family, and uh, I have four children, and uh, was very content uh, taking care of them and being a full-time mother, full-time mother. But then, of course, you know, COVID happened, and I woke up in December 2021 to the realization that my natural-born American citizen children were, in fact, not going to inherit the same liberties that I was gifted as an immigrant. And that didn't sit well with me. So I jumped into politics uh, to see what I could do to lend my, my experience and my talent, my leadership skills. I ran for the state house in, my, in legislative district number four uh, here in Maricopa County. I did not move on to the general. And because I didn't, I had members of the community ask me if I would uh, lend my talents to the leadership of the AZGOP due to the fact that we are factioned and fractured. And they thought that I would uh, have the skill set to bring the party together. So... Uh, five months ago, I started uh, holding meetings with all aspects of the party, and thankfully, <laughs> no one really hates me yet, so everybody is coming to the table. I don't <laughs> usually get a no when I uh, send out an invitation. Everybody's been open and, and very welcoming and, and generous uh, with their time. 
So I've spent the last five months forging these um, and, and creating these rapports and these relationships amongst key members in our party in anticipation of um, occupying that leadership role. And here we are. The election is tomorrow. Okay, great. Vera Gibran is our guest. VoteVera.com, V-E-R-A. Vote, V-E-R-A.com is her website if you want to learn more about her. I'm going to take a quick break, Vera. This was a short segment. We'll come back and talk a little bit more. Um, I love the, well, I hate but love. You understand that, hopefully, the story of um, losing one country and not wanting to lose another. It seems in a time of great division, not only in this country, but some division even within our party, someone who has survived, has seen the ravages of what civil wars can do, who actually can know what happens when a house divided against itself does fall, um, that your candidacy and your contribution to our movement and our party couldn't be more valued. So thank you for all your hard work and for being with us. I'm Seth Liebson. When we come back, we'll hear a little bit more of Vera's vision for the party, the state, and the country. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Vera Gibran is our guest. She is a candidate for the chairmanship of the Arizona GOP, Arizona Republican Party, which will be holding its vote on that tomorrow. Vera, um, talk to us about um, your vision for the party, your concerns about it, your intentions for it, and anything else you want to say about your candidacy for chairmanship of our state party. Wow, all right. <laughs> That's quite a bit. Yeah, and do it in one minute. No, I'm kidding. You have plenty of time. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Thank you. Well, you know, Seth, I don't have to tell you or your audience that, you know, the base of the Republican Party has changed, and in times of change, the way elections are run have changed, and the AZGOP simply must change to keep up with the speed of the 21st century. I mean, look, the the Republican Party in in Arizona, and actually, you know, quite a bit throughout the United States, we're still using the USPS to deliver deliver mail, and the Democrats are using stealth bombers to to deliver their messages and their initiatives. You know, of of course, the the traditional job description of the uh, AZGOP chair would be to, of course, always, you know, raise money and get the right candidates to win. And it it seems so obvious to me that I usually don't mention it. But uh, at this point in time, unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of just doing two or three things. So much in our party here in our state has to be addressed. And so... You know, it, it, it all has to be done at once. You know, obviously, election integrity has to be addressed. And um, in addition to that, you know, the, the AZGOP needs a very serious makeover. You know, at this point in time, the job needs a leader who knows how to drive multiple initiatives all at once. When, when I was building um, companies abroad, the way I did that was through a singular uh, headship, and then I surrounded myself by plural leaders. Mm-hmm. And we need to drive multiple initiatives all at once. For example, we need to go through a rebranding. 
rather than be the grand old party, we need to switch our perspective and try to be the greatest opportunity party. We need to correct our public image, you know, through personal contact, through modern vehicles like TikTok and and Snapchat and other uh, technological avenues. Uh, We need to uh, deploy public service education announcements and uh, teach people or help them remember the fact that we are the party that uh, freed slaves and that we championed women's rights uh, to, to vote, that we were the majority vote to pass the civil rights. You know, people have lost track of all of that. And my objective is to make uh, this body relevant again to the people of Arizona. We need, I, I, I will be using this platform to reinstate the relevancy of we the people's voice. There is so much to be done, and I only have two years to accomplish all of this. You know, we need to change the hearts and the minds of people around the topic of abortion. We need to change their hearts and educate their minds so that the culture of it will drive voters towards a pro-life agenda. So, you know, there's a lot that we have to deploy, but all of our initiatives, would be, even though we're going to transform our, our look and our messaging, of course we would always maintain the efficacy of our um, conservative constitutional uh, beliefs. We will practice that. We will have the fiscal conservatism, <clears throat> trying to keep government as small as possible, et cetera. But all of our initiatives will be for the purpose of maintaining the sovereignty prosperity and security of this state and of this country. But the way we can do that is by reinstating, most importantly, the voice of we the people. Voter and, and ele- excuse me, voter and election integrity, to be sure, is the first step on that. Of course, maintaining yes. our sovereignty physically is another step. That's, of course, invoking the issues having to do with illegal immigration. Um, we have to recruit people to the party. We can't win elections uh, when, you know, we're, what, one-third of the state-ish. Uh, we need and, to— And, you know, yeah. Seth, I've got a super comprehensive plan on how to— uh, expand our voter base. Good. You know, Good. Uh, so for example, you know, the, the Democrats definitely have the Asian, the continent of Asia basically cornered. I'm not sure how they do this, but you know, all throughout the state, we have uh, everywhere from West Asia all the way to East Asia, meaning, you know, the Middle East all the way to uh, Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia. Uh, they have, the Democrats have that market cornered. You know, I am going to personally be going to every, you know, Korean American club, the Indian American club, the Iranian American club, and I am going to educate them about the fact that their values, and I know this because I'm I'm from the Middle East and I I worked uh, in Asia for, for a decade, you know, the Asian continent values are absolutely in line with the Republican values of fiscal conservatism, It's all about um, having an excellent work ethic and the preservation of the family. Good. So we that those members that come from the continent of Asia are absolutely aligned with our values, but they need to be educated about that. So I plan on personally 
going to these clubs and presenting and bringing the precinct committeemen with me to help convert voters, number one, and two, to, to encourage these uh, communities to put up their own PCs, to have their own uh, uh, precinct committeemen get involved on, in, in the legislative district so that they have proper uh, representation. Good. And then, you know, I just learned uh, that there's an entire group uh, down in La Paz County. They're called the No Land Indians. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely owned, you know, by the Democrats. Well, I am going to absolutely make a personal visit, and I, we want to educate them about how they are more aligned with our values than the Democrats. So I've got a plan for that. I'm working um, uh, with, uh, I've got a think tank that I've been forming called Gen Z GOP, where we are going, it's going to be a think tank of Gen Zers that are going to help me and my board understand how to communicate uh, in an effective way with Gen Zers to bring them into the fold and to get them involved. I plan on uh, hopefully maybe uh, creating a, um, a strategic partnership with the likes of Hillsdale College Good. and getting, getting young people to come in and do internships within the AZGOP, learning the ropes, and then going on to their campuses to deploy the messages. Good. So super comprehensive plan on how we're going to... Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, i got to take another rate. break, and we'll have a, a follow-up on the other side of this break. If you have the time, I'd love to keep you one more segment, Absolutely. Vera. Uh, we have some callers, that. and I'll see if I can't uh, put their questions uh, forward to you. And I'd also like you maybe also on the other side to uh, go back to the thing that got you uh, so... Ro- ro- Royaled to roll up your sleeves in the first place. Uh, education. I know how important it is to you. I know how much you know about it. I'd like you to share even a little more with the audience when we come right back. I am Seth Liebson. She is Vera Gibran. She is a candidate for the state chairmanship of the GOP. VoteVera.com is her website. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Vera Gibran has been our guest this uh, past half hour. She is a candidate for the state chairmanship of the Arizona Republican Party, which will be holding its vote on that tomorrow. VoteVera.com is her website. We only have a few minutes left in this short segment, Vera. But a caller uh, on the break was asking me to ask you how you intend to maintain the integrity of the Republican and conservative message given so much power from special interests that may not always be in consonance with your message. Well, Seth, you know, uh, you know me personally, um, but I'm not one for backroom deals. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're going to give money to the AZGOP, you can do that, but you are definitely not going to control or direct the narrative. At this point in time, more importantly than ever, we must be steadfast in our adherence to the traditional American principles and to the wholesomeness that we are all so desperately craving to get back to. No amount of money is going to persuade me to waver on those principles. I will not, I will not waver on the preservation of our core principles. Special interest money does not intimidate me, and they're not going to push me around. I'm not for sale. No, that's a nice, strong message. Um, I appreciate that. 
last minute and a half with you, Vero, your final pitch to the audience and to those who will be voting for the chairmanship of the GOP tomorrow. Take a minute and say whatever you like. Well, you know, you know, uh, Seth, I've I've been in politics only for a year and I'm very saddened by the amount of corruption that I have seen even within our own party. I think what's important for your audience to, to know is that I'm not in politics for the purpose of serving myself. I'm coming in to serve and then to leave. This is not a platform from which I am launching my political career. I do not have political ambitions. I 100% ascribe to um, President Jefferson's uh, advice, which is to, to go in and serve your country and leave before corruption sets in. And that is my intention. I, I am seeking this position to try to help uh, lead our party toward better habits and toward more success. This is not to serve myself. My only objective is to not serve the kingmakers, but to reinstate the voice of we the people. That's my only objective here. This is not a launch pad for my political career. I will go in and I will serve and I will make decisions based on the preservation of the people's voice because I'm not going to owe anybody anything. I don't need to keep my relationship, you know, on good terms because I'm now uh, trying to set up for my congressional or senatorial run. I'm doing it for all the right reasons because I love my country and because this country is worth preserving. I do not want to lose this home. Well, as you said, uh, we do know each other, and I can tell the audience that's just your first gear. God bless you, Vera. Thank you for spending time with us. I appreciate it very much. Vera Gibran, again, her website, votevera.com. Godspeed. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.